In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a hundred million dollar real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, we have an awesome, awesome guest, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is uh, looking forward to it. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you today, and I can't wait for you to share with the audience your story and sort of where you're at and all the amazingness that you are. Vision Board Mastery, which you have right behind you, I can't wait for you to elaborate. Oh, on the chalkboard. Yeah, I got a video shoot this afternoon, so the studio was all set up first thing this morning. (laughs) I love it, Steve. I love it. Well, thank you so much for connecting with me once again. And, you know, we talked about quite a few things together, and, you know, what really brought us together was the underdog story. I would ask of you what has been your experience you know sort of where you're at now Mm -hmm. where you've been and where you're going you got it i've been at the time of this recording 16 years as a professional speaker i published four books in that time Uh, i've also been on the radio for 10 years uh, as a morning show producer for 10 years national level comedy writer for a radio service stand-up comedian for seven years and that's kind of all what got me here over the past 20 years now prior to that when i was a kid very shy, introverted, did not want to be the center of attention. That's so oh, funny. Shine a spotlight on me. I'm like a roach. I go running under the stove. And it's just funny because when I was nine years old, I saw a TV show called WKRP in Cincinnati. And there was a character named Dr. Joni Fever. And I looked at this guy. I was nine years old at the time. It was mid to late 70s. And here's a guy with kind of shaggyish long hair. He wears sunglasses indoors, scruff of beard, jeans and t-shirts, plays records for a living and actually gets paid. Mm. When I was nine years old, I said, I want to do that someday. I think that would be the greatest thing. And I used to practice. My dad had this old cassette recorder, this big clunky thing. And I would sit there and talk into it and then hold the microphone to the speakers for the songs to play. And then I would talk, I'm going back to vinyl here, in the grooves between the songs. I would talk then and go back and forth. Well, Parenting and reality creep in. You know, my late teen years, my parents had to give the parents speech. I want you to go to a good school, get a good education, get a good job with a good company with good benefits. Basically, put your head down on a desk for the next 45 years and retire with a pension. I did go to college. I graduated with Bachelor of Arts in Business. Uh, I graduated, my dad always called, summa come this close. <laughs> 62 one thousandths of a point from not graduating. I mean, I had to call them the day. Actually, I drove on the campus the day before. Oh, my God. Like, uh, hi, my name is Steve Hanlon. Should I even show up tomorrow? And they look it up and they go, ooh, yes, you made it by 62 one thousandths of a point. Hey. Oh, my So a year or two after that, I was just basically broke, depressed, living on my grandfather's couch at the time, not quite sure what I wanted to do. And I had a friend who kept bugging me. Why didn't you ever pursue being on the radio? You've been talking about it for years. You play all the music for the parties. You know more about music than any of us in the circle of friends. And you're always happy when you talk about it. Mm. And I'm just thinking, I don't know if I'm good enough, smart enough. I don't even know what next step to take. So I called the local radio station. 
And there's a woman I used to listen to. She was, did the midday show. Her name is Cindy. And she's still a dear friend, even now. And I said, hey, Cindy, I'm thinking about getting into radio. What should I do? And she told me about a school near Boston nice. called Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Because like the commercial said, you don't have to go to Connecticut to go to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. So I went to Wellesley Hills. Nice. Did that eight-week course. Cost $4,000. I borrowed the money from my grandfather, whose couch I was living on. And I got my first internship a few weeks after graduating. Now, interns don't get paid anything, but it was a foot in the door. Mm. And I happened to go to my friend's house who had urged me to follow my dream. I hadn't seen him all summer because I was living in Boston going to school. He said, where you been? I said, broadcast school. He goes, did you get a job? I said, well, I got an internship. And it turns out it was a radio station we grew up listening to. And he was so happy and so proud. You know, you, you cheer your friends on when they finally do something oh, that you've been telling them for years. Totally. Go do this. And something good. Not like, hey, you should go jump off that cliff into the little pond. <laughs> Not that. Something good. And it was just such a, an amazing feeling. And then three weeks later, that friend passed away. Wow. And it took me a long time. It actually took my whole 10-year radio career to get the lesson. When somebody believes in you. Before you do, when they see something in you that you can't even see in your own mirror and they cheer you on and they encourage you and they tell you, you've got the stuff. You just need to take action and go do something. Listen to those people because they see something in you you don't see yet. They already see your finish line. They already see you achieving it. Right. So when I decided to become a speaker 16 years ago, shortly after I left radio, that's the person I wanted to be for other people. So whether I'm on a stage or walking down the street or holding a door or making somebody smile, I want to encourage them to let the best of themselves out in that moment, on that day, in that year, right? whatever. I, I want to be my friend for them. And it's, it's working very, very well. Wow. Wow. So your, your friend encouraged you to be in radio before you ever even thought about it. Well, before I pulled the trigger and actually took a step to do it. Yeah. And he was just like, Hey yeah. man, I believe in you to do this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was more of him whining going, Boy, your life blows. Why didn't you ever follow your dream of being on the radio? Because, <laughs> you know, being my friend, he wasn't exactly like a Hallmark card. Right, you know, right, right. Me opening it up, there wasn't a sweet thing like, you should follow your dreams. It's like, hey, you big dummy. <laughs> you're miserable. And you're only 22 years old. Well, 23 at the time. And why didn't you do this? I'm like, God, you're whining about your life, but you had this thing you wanted to do. So believed in myself enough to walk in the front door of broadcast school and then the radio station and then enjoyed a 10-year career of great success great joy great times it was heartbreaking a number of times because i was at the first station for two years they sold the station we all got fired mm. i was at the next station for three years they sold the station we all got fired and then i was at the last group for four years and somebody said one day, hey, did you hear about the owner? He's going through a divorce. He might have to sell the radio station. And I went, see ya. Oh, wow. this again. I'm going to go just do whatever it is. I'm just going to go do my own thing. So I'm not at the mercy of anybody else. You know, and I always said, look, I'm going to make this work if it kills me. It almost has a couple times. Financially, it did very early on. It was not my best decision because it took out my radio career. Mm -hmm. uh, my first marriage ended shortly after. And I was $62,000 in debt at age 35 with only a little DJ business that was making about $11,000 a year at the time. That was it. Wow. Yeah. So you shifted from radio to your DJing career as well. I had already been DJing a number of years at that time, but it was very part-time and very small. Right. 
but when you um, that was all I had left. It's like finding a quarter in your pocket when it costs ten dollars to ride the ride. Oh, it's pretty much what it was like at the time. And I'm just thinking it can't get any worse than this. And someday this will be an amazing comeback story. All I have to do now is come back. Wow. That's all. Well, first, I mean, what what you were mentioning about your friend and validating your dreams. I think that that's so cool. You know, is I feel like there's always that person when you hear these stories, there's always that person that inspires somebody to do something, you know, and for me, it was my father. You know, my dad used to talk, I was like seven years old. I'd be riding in the car with him doing pizza deliveries. And he's like, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be a rock star. You're going to do it. You know, and, and they're telling you these things and you're like, somehow it enters your subconscious mind, you know? And then when it actually happens, it gets validated. And I think that's the coolest thing. And that's what he was doing for you. That's what your friend did for you. So I think that that's super important. So I really wanted to point that out because I, I feel like that's such a huge part in helping anybody get over a hump, right? Or yeah. somebody who's trying to take a jump into something new, maybe a business, maybe a new career or something like that. It's like, look for those people that are like, hey, you'd be good at this. That always shines. So it's amazing that that happened. And you know, getting into your radio career and then shifting into the DJ business, like what made you decide to make that a business? I always get intrigued by that story. So I just wanted mm. to pull back and, and ask you that question. Yeah. Real simple answer. Uh, at the time I was making sub welfare wages working on radio. I was working 55, 60 hours a week, making 12, five a year. So wow. I had to do something to supplement the income and the only available days were the weekends. And a couple of guys from the morning show that I worked on as a producer at the time said, Hey, you should come DJ weddings with us. You know, it's, it's pretty good money. It's decent. And I'm thinking I can't stand dance music. I don't like dance music. I don't want to play dance music. I can't dance. And I was still a little high. And I'm like, I don't want to be on a microphone in front of 250 people at a wedding. And one of them said, just come hang out. I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. And, you know, I did a four-hour wedding with him. Absolutely loved it. Loved the energy. Loved the feel of the room. Loved everything about it. Blew half of my $40 on gas and snacks at the 7-Eleven on the way home. And then figured out, look, he's going to pay me 10 bucks an hour to stand around and carry all this heavy equipment. I can make a lot more than that if I go buy some equipment. Mm. And start my own company, which I did. And it's been going now for 27 years. Super cool. Oh my gosh. So, and then invest, you basically, you made the investment for yourself and then just it kind of took off on its own. That's amazing. That's amazing. 27 years in the game. Crazy. My, and I get the ringing of the ears to prove it. And it's, it'll be retired soon. And, and people said, You're going to sell it. You're going to do this. I'm like, no, I'm going to keep my equipment for parties at my house. But as far as being out there, and the biggest reason is look what's going on right now at the time of this recording. I went seven and a half months between events. And if you've worked for almost three decades to build something that can be taken out by something as simple as a virus, then it may not be the type of business you want to keep pouring your heart and soul into. So I'm shifting pretty much everything into my speaking and my vision board training and all of that because I can do that regardless of virtual or in-person. Right. Kind of hard to DJ a wedding virtually. Yeah, no, I could, totally, totally. I could tux it up from the waist up and, and be on a camera somewhere, but it's not quite, you know, being there live is such a beautiful experience. Oh, totally. And, and I've really, I've really missed that this year, but I've actually enjoyed having weekends off for the first time in almost 30 years. Wow. I gotta okay. say, that's, that's go. been nice. It, it's been really nice. That's amazing. And especially because you're a DJ, we talked about this in the past, but I was a DJ too. So I totally mm -hmm. get it with you feel the energy in the room. It's like, and then everybody's rocking with you. And like, there's no better feeling than that. Yeah. 
when everybody's just grooving with you, having a good time. Certain things happen when people drink a little too much, but you know, it's, it's fun. It's fine. It's cool. (laughs) It it happened very recently. (laughs) Kind of a bad ending on a really good day. Oh, geez. But it happens. It happens, you know, but totally. And then, so from your DJ business, how did you shift into and morph into the speaking world? I think it's funny. So I think you've just always loved people. So, you know, going from radio to DJing to speaking almost feels natural because you're engaging all the time, you know, yeah. which, is, which is cool. So I feel like those skill sets in radio and in DJing literally built you as a speaker, whether you realize it or not, which is really awesome. You know, I wish it actually happened that logically it didn't. <laughs> I know. But like looking back on it now, like your skill sets from what you gained there yeah. are enhancing what you're doing now. And the reason I say that is because, you know, oftentimes in life, like people just feel like they're so far behind, you Mm. know, when they're doing things like an internship or a small job, you know what I mean? Doing something on the side. Well, what you don't realize is the magnitude of those skill sets that you start to build, that's going to benefit you in your future. So I just think that was just an observation that I had. I was like, yeah, Yeah. his DJing and his radio career, like helped him in the speaking world, which is cool, you know, which is really, really cool. So what, what was like the, the major transition point for you in, in getting into the speaking world? Dead on with (laughs) skills building to do that. And somebody asked me recently, you know, there's the the thing that goes around on Facebook. What did you want to do when you were a kid? And are you doing it now? When I was a kid, I wanted to be Dr. Johnny Fever. I wanted to be a DJ, but I also wanted to be a teacher, but not a traditional classroom teacher. I just had no idea what it would look like at the time when I was a kid, but the seed was planted. And ah. I, I do love people and I love making people laugh and I love making people happy. And shortly after leaving radio, going through my divorce, realizing how broke I was, moving back home and living with family at age 35, which is humbling in itself, August 2003, I had $3 left in my pocket on a Friday afternoon and I stopped by a golf driving range. And, and I'm a horrible golfer. So I just wanted to get some frustrations out. So I went to the farthest tee box on the property, and I was right underneath some power lines. And it's August 2003, and of course, what happens? A thunderstorm comes through. Hot, humid afternoon, and a thunderstorm comes ripping through. So I'm standing barefoot in the wet grass under power lines in the middle of a pouring torrential rain and thunder and lightning. And I just took the club, and I just looked up, and I said, I dare you. And I wasn't mad. It's kind of like, and I always joke about if you remember the movie Forrest Gump. Yep. When Forrest and Lieutenant Dan were out in the shrimp boat during the hurricane, and Lieutenant Dan is up in the crow's nest screaming at the storm, Come on, is that all you got? Blow. Come on. I'm just looking, I'm thinking, what could be funnier than what's already happening in my life? Go ahead. I dare you. Take me, you know, hit me. (laughs) If nothing else, I'll I'll just get shocked into something better. (laughs) And so I finished my bucket of golf balls, and I'm thinking, I'm still frustrated. I'm still in a bad mood. And I looked, there were two full buckets of golf balls sitting there from two guys who ran away from the storm. Mm. And I look around, they're nowhere to be found. Parking lot's empty. I'm the only guy who's still there. So (laughs) I hit all their golf balls too. So at the end of an hour, I can't even lift my arms anymore. (laughs) And I gather up all the empty buckets in the golf club and go to my car. And as soon as I open the door, the rain stops and the sun comes out. And I just started laughing. I'm like, all right, well played. You know, now you're just messing with me. The very next day, I was talking to my then brand new life coach. I was his first client. He had just gotten certified 
Wow. And so he's test driving everything on me. And he goes, so how was your week? And he's got his pen and paper. I go, put that down. Let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. And I just tried to make it sound really funny. And he's on the other end of the phone cracking up. And I'm thinking, my life blows and you're laughing at it. He goes, I got to ask you two questions. Are you this open and honest about your life with everybody? I said, yeah, usually in a self-deprecating way, but yeah. And he said, you ever thought of being a stand-up comedian or a motivational speaker? I said, actually both, but I have no idea how to do either one. He had a postcard on his desk that he got that week from a local community college that was offering a night class intro to stand-up comedy. He says, I'll send you this. I'm like, it was like a door just opened. All of a sudden, I'm like, that is so cool. I didn't know such a class existed. And he asked, have you ever heard of Toastmasters? I said, well, I've heard of it, but I don't know what it's all about. He says, it's an organization that, and they have clubs everywhere, helps you to craft your stories, get comfortable on stage and, and really polish your skills. Right. He said, and the best one in the whole state of New Hampshire is right in your backyard in Concord, New Hampshire, 12 miles from my house. So within four weeks, I was attending both. And within six months, got paid very little money for my first paid speech and my first paid stand-up comedy. And I did stand-up for seven years. And then somebody kind of pointed out, you know, Steve, you do these corporate speaking events. And if one of them happens to see you in the comedy club, even though we know it's different, the Viagra song is probably not going to go over very well with your corporate <laughs> clients. And I said, you're right. So I stopped doing stand-up. But uh, I took all the clean material and the funny in the humor and crafted it into my speaking. And those are the stories that get requested the most. And those are the lessons that people say they learn the most. They remember laughing and learning. So again, comedy had to be a part of that journey to get me to where I am now. And see, and there was another person who said, hey, Steve, I think you should do this. Isn't it funny how the universe works? Yeah. And he and my friend from the pre-radio days. Both named Dan. I've had two Dans that changed my life. Really? They're both named Dan. Both named Dan. Yep. Wow. So I'm waiting for some guy named Dan to come here with a limo, a giant check, and some balloons <laughs> to hand me a million dollars. I'll be like, I don't care what your name is. We're putting the name tag Dan, Dan. on your suit. That's so, so I can complete the Dan trilogy. That's insane. See, there's no coincidences. There really isn't. So, Steve, you talk about, you know, Moving back home when you were 35 and all this stuff, and then that day with the golf balls and all of that, I could almost like feel how you were feeling at the time. And it's like, what got you past that point where you were like, where you just felt like it was a divorce? You were back home at 35. Like, how? Because the hardest part I find is getting over the hump. Yeah. That's the hardest part of all of it, right? Because once you start, you know, once you start picking yourself up, you start to crawl, you start to walk, and then you hit the ground running. But it's like that hump, what helped you sort of get out there and be like, all right, I, you know what I mean? I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, What helped you sort of rise from that? Yeah, when you elect yourself the mayor of Loserville, and the your term is unlimited, yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you start to throw stones at yourself like that, it's not a good place to be. But what happened within a couple of months of moving up to my dad's was this. You know, part of the reason I went to my dad's is a year prior to that, we had built a recording studio in his basement because I had, I was kind of starting another business of doing voiceover work and audio production, which is what I love most about radio. Mm-hmm. So we had built a studio there. So he says, hey, bud, you're here every day anyway. Why don't you just move in? Stay here as long as you need to. And we're we're clear. We're even. We're, you know, because mm-hmm. I did a lot to help them around the house with stuff my dad couldn't do. Within a year, my dad's health started to go downhill 
in a couple of ways. And my stepmom pulled me aside one day and said, look, I know you're not happy with the reason why you're here, but please don't feel as though there's any shame in it or that you have to move out anytime soon. And she said, because you know, your dad built this house. Yep. He can't take care of it all anymore. And if you leave, we'll have to sell the house and that'll break his heart. Mm. That was her way of saying, you're good. Stop beating yourself up over this whole situation. Use it to the best. You have this opportunity to live here with your studio in the basement, to work 24 hours a day if you want, in your studio and on your business. And we expect nothing. Just do what you keep doing to help us out and keep your dad in this house. And that was it. And she's still one of my dearest friends. We lost my dad about two years ago, right about the time, six months after my wife, Tina, and I bought this house. And it's eight miles from my dad's. And I built this recording studio. And it was the first thing I ever built in my life, carpentry-wise, without him. Wow. But it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't built that one together at his house. If I hadn't been there for, it turned out to be 10 years. Wow. And I used to joke with him. I said, remember that day you said I could stay as long as I wanted? He goes, Christ, I didn't think it would last 10 years, but I'm glad you're here. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So it it took the loserness out of it early on because we just found the good. I mean, if you just sit sit there and keep throwing rocks at yourself, you're never going to climb out of the ashes. Yep. And, and so many people always look back now, they broad brush and they go, Steve, you were like the phoenix that rose from the ashes of failure. I'm like, dude, my phoenix rides a pogo stick. <laughs> it was not one beautiful flight out of the ashes gloriously. Oh, my I, God. No, <laughs> I have crashed back into the fire so many times. Try something, fail, learn something, jump again. I said, I ride a pogo stick. I just try to bounce higher every time. That's all. Mm. that's all i said there's no parting of the clouds there's no ah, of the angels like in the movies and the music comes up and the hero no come on this is real life i'm still even now all these years into my life i'm 52 years old i'm still trying new things and learning and failing i mean i published four books every single one has had mistakes in it Mm. i had a thousand copies printed of my second book with eight chapters missing and this was right around 2005 or six. Eight chapters were missing. So I had a thousand books I couldn't sell. I had used my estimated quarterly tax payment money to pay cash for the printing. Oh. And I had a thousand books I couldn't sell. So I couldn't put the tax money back in. So I had to pay my taxes on a credit card that quarter. It was just this huge mess. And it was supposed to be my first great thing as in my speaking career was publishing my first book. And I completely screwed it up. And it was my fault because when they sent me the proof, I didn't scroll down the whole way to see that eight chapters were missing. Oh, my dear. Yeah. My editor almost killed me. She goes, it would have taken me 30 seconds to realize that. Like, well, it would have taken me five minutes to find your email address. So that's why I didn't do it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. I love your perspective on things and you're just, you're riding the pogo stick and you're just trying to get higher. You know, sometimes there's ups, sometimes there's downs. And, you know, that was the whole reason I started this show is like, you know, you get this, you know, like you're saying, people are like, it's this glorious rise from the ashes, Phoenix. Like, it's like, no, (laughs) this is life. It's a process and it's a continuum of up, down, side, side, down again, up. (laughs) You know, it's like, you're constantly moving with motion. So I love that, that, you know, you found the good. Right? Yeah, like, and if there's anybody out there you see saying, you know, I did all this and put my life back together all in one, they are lying. 
Yep. Because nobody gets it right on the first try. Nobody bounces back on the first try and has 100% success. I think there's not enough transparency and vulnerability and authenticity out there in the speaking world. That's part of why I became a speaker. Mm. I get tired of the rah, 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 buy my stuff speakers out there. And, you know, have I put my life in a really good place? Yeah. Are my business successful? Yes, they are. But I'm real enough to know that it took all of these little crash and burn and learn experiences. And and here's the thing about being a phoenix and, and falling back into the fire. Every time you fall in and you look over and your tail feathers are gone, when they grow back, the colors are brighter, they're stronger, they're more beautiful, and you're more confident because you've walked through and you survived. Yep. I used to have a speech or a speaking story called Some Days Your Phoenix Rides a Pogo Stick. Yeah. If you're struggling in business right now, it just means that there's something great on the other side, but you have to learn this lesson first. Right. And that was one of the ones that used to get requested a lot because so many, especially newer entrepreneurs or people new to a field, yep. they walk in, well, I don't know anything yet. I might make a mistake. Well, you can end your, you can, you can run out all your golden years of your life and still have the original tail feathers you were born with, maybe because you weren't brave enough to risk mm-hmm. burning them off. But if you're sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair next to somebody who tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed, their feathers are going to outshine yours Mm. because they learned they get those scars and scars are a badass testimonial to the fact that you tried. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to be proud of them too. You you can't hide them. Be like, Hey, this is what made me, you know? Oh yeah. This is what made me who I am. That's amazing. So you're shifting into the speaking world. Well, first, I would say, because you transitioned from comedy to speaking, what was your aha moment in being like, I want to just be a speaker? Like, this is awesome. The day that it was very early on, and I was not very good. And I was hired to speak at, a, I think it was an annual awards dinner for women in business here in New Hampshire. It went okay. There were a very forgiving audience because I was not exactly <laughs> dynamic yet at the time. I hadn't, I wasn't wearing my cape yet, put it that way. Uh-huh. I didn't have all of the confidence yet. Had the stories, I was kind of in place behind a lectern at the time. And now I, if they're on wheels, <laughs> they're gone by the time I hit the stage because I, I want to command that area. Right. But at the end of this event, the organizer came up and said, Steve, come over here for a second. And she said, without looking, or pointing. See that woman in the red dress way in the back of the room? I said, yeah. Because you, she's going to tear up a job application she had filled out. She's going to give her business another shot. She just invited one of us to help her make her business succeed. She was going to quit and shut her business down. But she came here tonight. She heard you speak. Oh, man, I just got chills. That was a free event. I didn't get paid for that event. That was the moment that I knew, even though I wasn't really confident yet hadn't really fleshed out and found myself yet that i had to do this and, and just keep doing it better i just got goosebumps too i did yeah i did and too, my wife tina always says you get goosebumps because you realize you're the chick in this relationship right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do because i get so emotional about that stuff Yes. I mean, I've cried with coaching clients before. We've laughed, we've hugged, we've cried, we've danced, we've run around just going, yes, 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 and celebrate it. And in those moments, and man, I haven't thought about that one in so long. So thank you. That was a gift you just just gave me. Yeah, the woman in the red dress. Never even knew what her name was. I never even spoke with her. Wow. But the woman who invited me to speak said, I couldn't let you leave without telling you that. Isn't that amazing? That meant the world to me. That was in my first year of speaking. 
where I was begging to be on a stage anywhere. You know, I was doing the rotary circuit, you know, scrambled eggs and sausage or bacon, cold in a heat tray without heat. You know, we'll give you breakfast if you speak for 15 minutes. What do you want to talk about? We don't care. We just need somebody to go blah, 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 15 minutes. That's the level of speaking gigs I was doing at the time. And then this woman invited me to be part of the night that had the woman in the red dress. The woman in the red dress. I'll forever remember that. I love that, Steve. I love that. So you started in the beginning, obviously, the speaking career. It was slow gigs. And this happens. I know there's a lot of people listening who are entrepreneurs who might just be at the startup phase. What sort of helped you be like, all right, this is just year one. Like, let's just keep it grooving, keep it grooving. Like, what was sort of your your mindset and your mentality behind that? Because the startup entrepreneurial world is so tricky. Everyone paints the castles and the, you know, all these, you know, the Lambos and all that stuff. You're going to be an entrepreneur. You're going to be super successful. Blah, 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 you know, yep. but the reality when you start. You know what it is. I know what it is. I maxed out credit cards, messed up my credit when I first started <laughs> big time. Oh, yeah. That's still affecting me now. You know, mm-hmm. it takes time. So I'd love to know sort of what propelled you during, you know, those early years of that. Yeah. It's funny now because the gentleman I work with, who's my business mentor and business coach, Lonnie Robinson, he always says, if you can do one, you can do another one. Mm. When you sell your first program for $1,000, you can sell another one for $1,000. So if you can do a speaking event and get a really great testimonial out of it, which that woman gave me because I asked for one, Mm. I said, I said, that's amazing. Could you write it down that because I said this and that she made a decision that changed her life? She goes, oh yeah, I'll write that for you. That became my first testimonial. That's awesome. Every time you impact someone in a positive way, just say, look, would you put that in writing? Would you do that in video? Could I record you saying that? Always ask permission. Mm-hmm. Because that tells the world that somebody just like them got value from you. Right. If you get one testimonial, you can get two testimonials and three and four. And the ones I get now, I let my mom see them all. She'll say, how was your event? I go, let me send you the testimonial I got. And we have this thing called the MMC rating, Made Mama Cry. Oh. Some of the things my clients have said have actually made my mom weep oh. because she says, oh my God, my kid is not only loves what he does. I mean, who wouldn't want this for their kid? If you have a, a son or a daughter, you want them to succeed. You want them to be filled with joy. You want them to find their purpose and their passion and all this and that. Well, I did. And my mom still oh. just loves that. She always calls herself, she goes, you know, I'm still your biggest fan. I know you're my biggest fan, mom. She's she's in her early seventies and she's still like that. And every time she says that, it just reminds me that I'm in such a good place in my life. Despite what's going on in the world, despite what's going on all around us, when you figured it out, something that makes you happy and you can figure out a way to make money at it. Cause some people just say, Find your passion. And if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That is the biggest steaming pile of crap I've ever heard. (laughs) Yep. Because this past Saturday was a 16-hour day between being at an event, being here in the studio, setting up equipment, checking equipment that hadn't been used in seven and a half months, and being rusty from what you're used to doing every day. It's kind of like going to the gym for the first time in seven months when you haven't gone and trying to do the exercises you did seven and a half months ago. And you're thinking, were these weights as heavy as that seven and a half months ago? Oh, they were. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But it's, it's keeping going. If you can do one day, you can do two days. If you can do one speaking event, you can do two speaking events. If you can write one book, you can write five books. Mm -hmm. 
it's not letting the little speed bumps deter you. And the the biggest gift you can ever give yourself is to know exactly why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and at a heart wrenching, emotional, emotionally connected level. I was the lead trainer for an organization called BNI, Business Networking International. Here in New Hampshire, I taught 52 of their basically networking basic training sessions. And we were doing a little bit of a shift. So we met at uh, headquarters with the owners of the region. And he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a speaker. He says, why? Because I want to help people. Why? Because I want their lives to be better. Why, why, why? He Mm -hmm. would not stop asking me why. And finally, I stopped and I put my head down and I thought about it. I said, because I had a friend who believed in me when I was 23 years old, who got me to follow my passion to be on the radio when my life sucked. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And he died three weeks later. And I always said, I'm going to be that person for other people to get them to believe in themselves. And by then I get tears coming down my face. Yeah. And he goes, don't ever forget that. Wow. And I haven't. So when people you know, say, well, Steve, I don't know my why, we start asking questions. Yeah. So, what do you want this to turn into for you? How do you want this to make you feel? Yeah. What, what is your life going to look like, feel like, sound like, smell like? I mean, because smell is the most powerful of the senses. Yep. So what do you want it to smell like? They're like, what do you mean smell like? As what's your dream vacation to go to Hawaii? Okay. Coconut, pineapple, mm. you know, Hawaiian tropic, whatever, you know, scent of sunscreen you want, you know, the sound of waves hitting the beach. Start to move all the emotional connection to what you want to figure out why you want it. And that is such a powerful thing because if you don't have your why, the littlest thing is going to divert your attention. When it gets real hard all of a sudden, which being an entrepreneur, that's 99% of your life. (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) Is is the world throwing things in your way saying, you know, I don't think you're going to be successful at this. And you, if you remember why you're doing it, say, hashtag up yours. Yes, I am. <laughs> yep. And you just keep going and fighting. And that's the fuel in your tank. Wow. And that's your why. Yep. And that's what That's propels, my why still. And that's what propels everything moving forward. Yeah. And keeps really, me going every day. When somebody, you know, I've, I've had a hundred women in a red dress since then who said steve do you remember when you said this and i always just say yes now because i used to know people who say steve remember the day you said this to me oh my gosh that changed my life and i'm thinking i say that to everybody in my head i would say that i never want to demean their experience so i always say yeah i remember right because you said that and it impacted my life and i live for those because that just and it's not that i want the glory i don't want the right i want to know that something i said or did had an impact for somebody because, and I open up when I get on stage, I tell people, I said, look, my name is Steve Gamlin. I am known as the motivational firewood guy. Here's what that means. If you wake up tomorrow morning and think one more positive thought, speak one more kind word, especially to yourself and take one more positive action, then our time together is a massive win. And that goes for people listening to your show as well. It's a massive win. And I said, the seeds get planted and you never know where they'll go. Uh, I was at a grocery store about eight years ago. And I wasn't, I always say I wasn't supposed to be there, but I, we know I was supposed to be there, but I wasn't planning to be there. Right. I had 20 extra minutes because one meeting ended shortly. I was driving to the next one. And I saw the grocery store and I said, okay, I got to get some cereal. Mm. So I was walking down the Captain Crunch aisle, which is my favorite cereal, Crunch Berries. Yeah. <laughs> and a person walks past me. And then I hear a voice saying, hey, man, you're that speaker, right? 
we're the only two people in the aisle. And I look over my shoulder. I said, yes, sir, I'm a speaker. Where did you hear me? He said, Acton, Massachusetts, the Unemployment Networking Group. I said, oh my gosh, that was a big group. It was 85 people. And I spoke there three times. Mm. And I said, all right, what do you remember? He described the picture that was on the screen. He described the story I told. And he told me what the lesson from it was. I said, all right, what'd you do with it? He says, the very next week I had a job interview. Didn't look at the ceiling, didn't stare at my shoes, didn't stare at my resume, looked them right in the eye and engaged their energy level. He said, and within two questions, I figured out, because the story was about uh, some people in in like stadium seating. Mm. And there was two people down at the bottom like this who didn't look real happy to be there. There were some empty seats up top for people who never even showed up. But then there was a man and a woman who had their arms up and they were like, yeah. So I called them my monster truck couple. I said, wherever you are, you find your monster truck people. You find the people who are excited that you're there and you engage them at their level of energy. And he said, within two questions in a three-person panel, I figured out who my monster truck person was. Mm, nice. And I said, and what happened? He goes, oh, dude, I got the job. So thank you. And he holds out his hand and he shook my hand. And I'm thinking, I did the math after. I said, when was that? It was three years prior for another free speech. Didn't get paid for it. An hour from home. And three years later, this guy sees me in a grocery store in the Captain Crunch aisle and says, thank you. Wow. That's still, again, that'll make me emotional when I'm 90 years old. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing, Steve. I love those. I live for those moments. They're the best. Well, it it validates the purpose, you know, and what you're here to do. You know, when you feel that validated, it's like, oh my gosh, it's working, you know, because you see it and you work on it for so long. And it's like, you're like, oh, I don't know how it's going to be interpreted. But when you have people come back to you and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, kind of like, all right, this is what I'm meant to do. Oh, gosh, I walk away two inches taller. Every single time something like that happens, even if I was having a not great day or or whatever, you know, things were frustrating, a piece of studio equipment broke or something. I was down a couple of days this week. It's all working now, but I lost a couple of days worth of production. But that's when someone reaches out and says, hey, Steve, you know, I never got a chance to say thank you for this. Here's what being with you, being coached by you, being, some people have said, you know, you won't even know who I am. I sat way in the back at a speaking event you did. But I just want to say, when you said this, oh my God, I felt like you were talking right to me. Wow. And other people have asked me, who's the most important person in the room? I'm like, well, who's the most important person to you? The person with my check. Like, okay, that's not my answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> but it's not. I mean, it's always good to get paid so you can pay your bills and keep doing this. I said, you know, the most important person in the room is for me is the person who came in late because they might've been in the lobby or in their car, even crying, wondering if they're worthy to even be there. Mm. And somebody has told me in the past that that they did that. Wow. They sat in the car for 10 minutes and just cried thinking, I really need this, but I'm afraid to walk in late and be embarrassed and be that. So it's those people who walk in late, who just sit there with their arms crossed, probably won't even take any notes. Mm. won't look at me in the eye, won't come talk to me afterwards, but they need it the most. Like you have people say, oh, the people in the front clapping, cheering, standing ovation. (laughs) I don't care about standing ovations. I care about impact. Yep. The reason I focus on that person in the back who's too shy to come up to me, who won't sit in the light, they'll sit in the shadows in the dark is because I used to be that person. 
So I need to always shine a little light, even a little sliver of light into that darkness. And when I'm gesturing from the stage, even if the lights are so bright, I can't see it. I just point towards the back of the room. I just point high. Mm. Say, you know what? Maybe you can relate to that. I'm pointing right over the heads of the people in the front row, just pointing towards the back. Wow. I want that person to be back there nodding their head a little bit, thinking, oh my gosh, you're talking to me. That's because I used to be that person. And, you know, on the, on the subject of standing ovations, I saw one speaker one time. Part of his marketing was, I've gotten more than 500 standing ovations. <laughs> you know how many I've gotten? One. You know how I got it? I cheated. <laughs> I was at a speaking event. This is like 12 years ago now. And it was a, a group of people I'd never spoken to before. Uh, I was added on at the last second. Friend of a friend of a friend said, hey, this guy, Steve, it was actually I was delivering the, the Phoenix Rides of Pogo Stick keynote that night. And one of my dearest friends sat right in the front row. And I said, I bet you five bucks I get a standing ovation tonight. She's like, these people don't know you. You're not even on the sign. You were like a last minute <laughs> addition. I said, five bucks. And she goes, you're on, you know, because I would just have to buy her a drink upstairs in the bar afterward. And so I do my hour and a quarter and we're rocking and rolling, having a great time. Amazing audience. They were so good. And I was kind of wrapping up talking about the, the Phoenix and the feathers and all that. I said, tell you what, do me a favor. I want you all to please stand up. I said, want you look over your right shoulder. Now look over your left shoulder. Now look down at your butt. How are your tail feathers doing? Are they the ones you started with because maybe you weren't afraid to risk and try something different? Are they completely singed off because you recently had a learning experience in your life? Or are they already growing back bigger, stronger, and more beautiful than they were before because you were willing to try? Thank you very much. Have a good night. And they all start clapping. Of course, they're all already standing up. Absolutely. And my friend, as I scanned down, I saw my friend in the front row giving me the finger. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. She's just shaking. She's going, you got me oh my gosh oh man yep. my that's, only standing ovation that's amazing yep. actually i've gotten a couple but that's my favorite one, <laughs> that's the best one. <laughs> another question for you steve what was the bravest thing you've ever done bravest thing i've ever done <laughs> and i've i get asked that a lot and people know that i used to go skydiving so they think it's that and some people know because I, it's a stage story that I jumped off the 108th floor of the Stratosphere Hotel in Las Vegas oh, with just a metal cable holding me attached to the building. Not me. It's <laughs> the bravest thing I ever did was to answer an email on uh, June 16th, 2007 that just said, hey, how's it going? We haven't talked in a while. And I thought it was spam because I didn't recognize the email address. And I got distracted and I saw it again the next day and I opened it up and it was from someone named Tina. And then I, when I read it, I realized it was one of my best friends from high school, a girl named Tina that I sat next to in math class for three years and was so shy and so introverted and so not confident that I had a crush on her and I never asked her out. Mm. We graduated in June of 1986. 21 years later, I get an email from her. says, oh, I live in Florida now. I haven't talked to you in so long. We should keep in touch. The bravest thing I ever did was answer that email mm. because the feelings, this is actually, here's the best part. It was 10 days after I wrote down in my journal, I am ready to fall in love. Get out. Because I had been divorced for almost three years at the time. 
And I wrote it down in literally an email from a woman I hadn't seen or spoken to in 21 years, who at that point was living 1,300 miles away, shoots me a message. Now, she would not send me a picture of herself. She did not have a social media footprint. So over the next few weeks, phone calls, emails, texting, we're talking and talking. And all of a sudden, I realized that I still really like her. And mercifully, I got to give her credit on this. She is 1% more brave than I am. Four weeks later, I was DJing a wedding where I wasn't even supposed to be. The other DJ got sick. And at the last second, I took over the event. And she sent me a message. Can I tell you something if you promise not to freak out? I typed back, sure. Here's how I really felt about you in high school. Here's how I felt the day I saw your name on classmates. Here's how I felt when you answered my email. I love you. And right then, the banquet manager comes over and goes, hey, 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 we have to go cut the cake. I'm like, <laughs> oh, crap. I'm leaving a very emotionally vulnerable woman, you know, 1,300 miles away. And I came back and I said, you know what? I love you too. So the bravest thing I ever did was be vulnerable and authentic enough after having zero confidence in dating and relationships for most of my life to say that this is really something important to me and that I do love you. And we celebrated our 13th anniversary this past June. We've been together ever since. I love that story. That was another goosebump when you were talking about that. Oh, my God. I tell her all the time. I said, "Hun, because that story got me on Oprah's radio network four times talking about soulmates and law of attraction. Amazing. And And I always tell her, I said, look, if you ever end our relationship, you are going to demolish my speaking career. She goes, (laughs) you better behave then, shouldn't you? I'm like, yes, dear. Love you. (laughs) (laughs) And we both laugh all the time. But it's just... I couldn't even, if you put for me personally, what is the perfect relationship? It's ours. There's no BS. There's no drama. There's no, there's nothing other than the fact that every single morning and every single night and probably a few more times during the day, we tell each other that we love each other. And it's 100% effort from both sides. There's no BS. And I wish more people could be that authentic and vulnerable and trusting. And I know that a lot of people have scar tissue and damage. I get that. Right. But I wish people could just find that person. The The biggest thing was I became the person I needed to be to mm-hmm. attract someone like her. I mean, I spent three years working on myself. And that was the early stages of the vision board program because that January I built a vision board and I put a picture with people representing the type of relationship I wanted walking on our beach, holding hands, standing at the railing of a ship at sunset, piggybacking, the guy piggybacking his, his girlfriend through a brook so she doesn't get wet and they're laughing. Uh, other than the piggybacking, which she won't let me do, we've done everything else that was on that board. We've gone on cruises together, walked on the beach, and just love on each other all the time. Kind words, kind feelings, 100% trust. And first thing in the morning, every single day, my foot finds hers or her foot finds mine. That's the most beautiful first moment of every single day. But here's the thing. I saw it all first. Mm. Then I became the person I felt I needed to be so that when she showed up in my life, she'd recognize that. Mm. And so it wasn't just luck. Right. You know, it wasn't just, oh, you're so fortunate. Oh, my fortune cookie says I'm going to find my dream relationship too. So, <sighs> What I love is that you wrote it down and you made it happen. So visualization, and that's your thing. So I would love if you could talk about that a little bit more and that you have a whole program because I think it's going to help so many people. Yeah. It helped you. You saw it literally come to life. 
in your own life. Yeah. Two days after you wrote it down in your journal and visualized it and created this board, she yeah. came to you, which is insane. Like that's when I got goosebumps. I'm like, that's so powerful. That's yeah. visualization. Like if that doesn't speak volumes, I don't know what, <laughs> what mm. does, you know? In the early 2000s, The Secret came out, which, you know, book and I got the DVD because I really enjoyed watching it. I, I think The Secret was extremely well produced. It was a little too genie in the magic lamp for me though. Mm. Like people saying, oh, I wish for this. Your wish is my command. And it just delivers. In the 98 minutes of the DVD, about two thirds of the way through, there was a gentleman named John Asaraf. And he talked about visualization and vision boards, how he had described what his goals would look like and put them on a board. And he had moved and bought a new house. And he was unpacking his boxes one day. And one of his sons was like, well, what's in that box, daddy? And he said, those, those are my vision boards. What's a vision board? So he opened it up looked at one of his boards and realized he had bought the exact house that had been on one of his boards from five years prior. Oh my gosh. And some people say, oh, that's lucky. That's this, that's that. Well, you're not necessarily going to land the thing you want, but here's the way I teach it. See it, be it, do it. Three basic steps. Know exactly what you want and what it looks like, feels like, sounds like, smells like. Put every sense you can to describe it. So that when it shows up or when you have the opportunity to get closer, those little warning flags go up. So that's see it. Then be it. You have to become the type of person who's going to be able to recognize and walk into the opportunities for it to even happen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it, somebody at one of my events said, I've got a friend who is dying for her next relationship. And, All right. What does she want? Well, she wants a nice guy who's close with his family, who goes to church and volunteers. And I said, okay, here's the question. Where's she looking? She's at the bars getting hammered every single night. <laughs> like, okay. She's failing on the B part here. Mm -hmm. She's not going to church if her faith is important to her. She's not out volunteering. I mean, she's not putting herself in the place. She's not being the type of person who's going to be in the right place to find and attract the person she says she's looking for mm. and then do it take consistent action because too many people are out there i wish for this or there was a, a graphic i created a number of years ago it was a skeleton sitting at a desk like this and i captioned it waiting for my vision board to work because mm. <laughs> that's so many people do that oh i went to a vision board party and first off i can't stand those they're a mess. I actually made a t-shirt line that says friends don't let friends attend vision board parties don't do this <laughs> because they don't do enough of the digging. It's a start. I can't say they're 100% useless. Right. It's a start. It's something. But it's not doing enough to learn about who you are, where you want to go. So see it, be it, do it comes down to the three steps. Yeah. But then also when you're creating the actions, keep an eye on your results. What's working? What's not working great? Who you're hanging with? I created a whole slide the other day for a presentation. I called it negative jeopardy. In the categories were things that suck, why you'll fail, <laughs> you know, oh, hell no. And all these categories of things that negative people have said to me over the years when I shared my goals. Mm. So if you're hanging out with people when you're talking about what's going on in your life and all you're getting is that negativity, you got to stop hanging out with those people. Even if you physically have to be near them, check out emotionally. You know, you got to see them with your eyes and hear them with your ears. You yeah. don't have to let them get in your mind or your heart. Yeah. So that's an important thing is to honor yourself on the way. So see it, be it, do it, but honor yourself along the way and celebrate every victory. Celebrate it. It's like if you're climbing a mountain. I, I used to do some hiking up in the Lakes region of New Hampshire. The higher I climbed, the cooler the view was. Mm. But what I also found 
was the higher I climbed, the cooler the people were <laughs> that I was meeting along the way. Yeah. You know, and some people say, you got to create massive action at once. You got to go, 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 go. Well, you know what? It's okay every once in a while to sit on a rock in the sun, take your boots off, let your feet breathe a little bit, and eat a damn sandwich. Yep. Because you might just see somebody 20, 30 yards away doing the same thing on another rock. Mm-hmm. They've already climbed as high as you have. Maybe they've been up that mountain before. Maybe they can say, you know what? When you get to the top, go to the left because it's a prettier view. Or, hey, watch out for this. I heard it was raining and muddy and it's slippery over there. Say, hey, why don't we climb together? Because then when you do get to the top with people like that, you get to share that amazing view and that really cool victory. Uh, I'm not a loner by any chance. I don't like to work alone. I don't like to be, people say solopreneur and all that. Yeah. I got a tribe that rivals the greatest tribes on earth yeah. of people that I celebrate every single victory with. They pick me up when I fall down and they celebrate with me when I win because they're a part of it. There's no such thing as 100% self-made. Right. I will 100%. never claim that. Right. Right. Absolutely. I completely yeah. agree with that. Man, Steve, you have so much awesome advice. I was going to ask you what your biggest piece of advice is, but you already answered that question, which is awesome. But I think you Thank need you. to let everyone know sort of where to find you and where to find your course, because I think it's so powerful and it's applicable. I mean, I took it myself last night. I was telling you, and I thought it was amazing. I was like, ah, I didn't think about that. Let me try this a little differently as well. So Definitely. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you for that. Yeah, you can find me and all my stuff at motivationalfirewood.com. The program and and all the other stuff is on the products area. But we also just created, I think yours is going to be the first show that airs that even shares this because it is brand new. We have a brand new webinar. Uh, It's about 30 minutes long. And we crafted it just a couple of weeks ago. It just finished being produced. So that's up there as well. So for people who've never really heard of visualization or you don't quite know what it's all about, or you went to a vision board party and nothing happened, go watch that. But for anybody that has any questions or or wants to have a conversation about it, if you go to stevechats.com, you set up a free call. And that's where most of my clients, that's how most of my clients actually become my clients. We get on a call and then you understand that this is not just some guy who's trying to pimp his programs or sell, that I genuinely come from a a loving, caring, want to help you place. And if I can, I will. If I'm not the right fit, we part as friends and we're good. And maybe, just maybe like the conversation you and I had prior to coming on today, I can connect you with somebody who's helped me to get where I am. And my return on that is, I know I just got to help a friend, two friends actually, to cross paths. I love it, Steve. Thank you so, so much for being here today. You are a total rock star and I love it. I know there'll probably be more interviews coming up as well with you. And of course, we're going to stay connected in many other ways. I can already see it. But thank you so much for being here today. You're amazing. My pleasure. This has been an absolute blast. You are awesome, Steve. Thank you. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode.